in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, as we read it in its entirety. Please follow along. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. All right, let me pray uh, for God's grace in our time as we approach his word. Lord God, we... Humbly come before you in your word, and we ask, God, that you would make clear to us your truth, that you would open our eyes to see, open our hearts to understand, that your spirit would convict, that your spirit would give us understanding, and Lord, as a result, that we would in turn worship you, for you are worthy of all worship. Lord, I pray that you would clear distractions from our minds. I pray, God, that you would give us focus, that you give us understanding, that you would give us your grace. Lord, we need you in this time. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, upon studying this passage, I, I came across a example, analogy of some sort. I really did like 
Uh, so I, I want to take it as my springboard and just kind of build off it and allude to it a few times. Um, so I, I find it very helpful, in fact, to influence the title, Navigating Through the Clouds of Evil. How many of you guys have ever um, flown on an airplane before? Okay, a good amount. Wow, good amount. How many of you guys that flown on an airplane have flown at night? Okay, probably the same amount. Okay. How many of you have flown at night through uh, heavy clouds? Okay, about half of those people. Okay. So it, for those who have done that, you maybe will know exactly what I'm saying. For those who haven't, you can imagine. Okay. Uh, you can put your hand down. Thanks, Ferris. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Very good. Pulling a Javen over. Remember, remember you were just like closing your eyes for days? Yeah, I remember that. That was really good. Uh, anyways, uh, if you've never flown a plane before, I, I find it very enjoyable. Some people find it a little scary. And there are times where it is, like when you go through turbulence and like you go through clouds or something or through like a thunderstorm and like it's like the plane is shaking going up and down. Uh, and there are times, I remember many times in which I've flown, in which you look out the window and it, it's pitch black because it's nighttime and there's no street lights up in the sky. Uh, and so it's dark. If you guys don't understand why there's no street lights in the sky, you'll figure that out one day, okay? Uh, and so it's, just, it's pitch black, and we're going through like these clouds. You fly through the clouds, and I just looking out my window, you know, the side window, I'm like, I can't see anything out this window. Like, I can't even see the wing of the plane. And maybe you've thought this. I've thought this. How on earth can the pilot see where he's going? Like, how does he know? What's the, 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 there's no painted lines in the sky, like on the road. It's pitch black. He's just driving through clouds in which he can't see probably two feet in front of him. And I'm thinking, that he's going to be lost. Like, how on earth does he know which direction to go? Now, of course, it, it's quite simple uh, <laughs> how he knows. Because the p- pilot is not flying based on, on what he sees. Or even how he feels, like feeling the shaking of the plane. He's not flying based on that. Saying, oh, I see this is where I should go. Or I feel this is where I should go. But what? He's flying the plane. He's guiding the plane through the instruments that are in front of him, right? If you've ever – has anyone seen the inside of a, of a cockpit, right? You see all these screens, all these buttons, like everything. These are the instruments in which help him. He doesn't need to really look out the window, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe he does. I'm not a pilot. But it's the instruments in which he's using that guide him through the darkness, that guide him through the clouds. Now, we can often look around, maybe our lives, and we can see the evil in this world. And we wonder, how are we to respond to all of this? How are we to respond to all the evil in this world? Because it looks like the evil in this world will never stop. In fact, it looks like it's just getting worse. In fact, it looks like evil always wins. That bad guys finish first and nice guys finish last. It looks like, if we're honest, that evil is the better route. That maybe the evil way, maybe the sinful way, maybe the worldly way is the right way. How do we navigate through a world filled with evil? And how do we respond when it seems like evil is the better path? Well, like the pilot, we do not navigate based on how we feel or even based on what we see around us. But like the pilot, we navigate 
through the instrument that is always true, that is always right, and that is always perfect. His word. When we seek wisdom on how we are to live our lives, we are to seek godly wisdom that is found in his word. And coming off of chapter 7, verse 29, where he says, See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In light of that, in light of the fact that human beings are fallen, in light of the fact that humans are sinful, now here in chapter 8, Solomon provides wisdom on how we are to respond to the evil in this world. And specifically in two areas. At least that's how I'm categorizing it tonight. I'm sure we could break it out in other ways. But we are going to see that how we ought to respond to the authority of the wicked and how we are to respond to the prosperity of the wicked. He addresses both of that. We see the authority of the wicked. Well, how do we respond to that? And we see the prosperity of the wicked. How do we respond to that? That's where we're going tonight in chapter 8. So first, the authority of the wicked, verses 1 through 9. The authority of the wicked. And Solomon sets the stage here in verse 1. It might sound a little confusing. He's describing an officer in the royal court who's asked to carry out orders from from an unjust, from from a wicked authority. This officer, though, that Solomon describes, he's a wise officer. And how does he say we should respond to a wicked authority? This wise officer who's supposed to respond to uh, this unjust, this wicked authority, what does he say? How does he say we should respond to the authority of the wicked? We're going to look at two ways. First, to live in obedience. How do we respond to the authority of the wicked? First, we see to live in obedience. Look at verse 2. He says, I said, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Keep the king's command. Like that first thing, off the bat, keep the king's command. That might not be what we want to hear. And likely it's not the easy thing to hear. Obey the authority of the wicked. That's what he says. That's what he says is wise. Obey the authority of the wicked. Why keep the king's command? Why live in obedience to wicked authority? I think we see a couple reasons. First, Solomon's saying that it is wise. It's wise to do so. Even just from a practical standpoint, there are practical reasons, such as the fact of our own protection. There are natural consequences to disobedience to our authorities. You might remember when we were in Romans, we're going to go back there for a little bit, Romans 13, 3 through 4. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13, 3 through 4. For rulers, and not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath to the wrongdoer. There are natural consequences to the disobedience of our authorities. God has established authorities in our life to bear the sword, to instill justice. 
Simply put, it is wise to obey the authorities, even if they're wicked. It is wise to obey them just for our own protection. But secondly, and really most importantly, you are to live in obedience not because of your devotion to them. Not because of your devotion to your authority, but really because of your devotion to God. In obeying our earthly authorities, we are obeying and honoring God. God says to submit to our earthly authorities. He says it there in Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And we ought to be passionate about submitting to who? To God. And we ought to be passionate about honoring him. We ought to be fully devoted to this. We ought to be passionate and fully devoted of saying, I want to honor God. I want to submit to God. That is my passion. That is what I'm devoted to. And what's one way we can do this? Well, it says right here, by obeying our earthly authorities. Now, is there a limit to this? Of course. Most of you guys know this. That if your authority tells you to do something that goes against God, that goes against his word, if your earthly authority commands you to sin, then of course you don't submit to that. Why? Because God's authority is greater than man's authority, right? And so in those instances, we do not obey our earthly authorities. But even in those times, even in those rare times, I would say, of disobedience to earthly authorities, there is a way in which a Christian ought to do so. There is a, a right way in which a Christian ought to, in a sense, disobey their authorities. That honors God. A good example of that would be Daniel and his friends. Maybe you remember the story of Daniel. Maybe when they were commanded to eat food that went against God's law. Or when they were commanded to bow down to a false idol. They remained steadfast in what was true. They did not compromise on truth. They obeyed God over man. However, they did so in a way that was not disrespectful. That was not boisterous. That was not violent. They did so in a way that showed honor and respect to the wicked authorities, but still obeyed God rather than man. But the, the point of this is not how can we properly disobey? What's the best way we can disobey? That, that's not the point of this. The point is that we are to obey our authorities. We are to do that, even if and when they are evil. Their sin and their evil does not justify a sinful and evil response from you. That just because they may be evil and sinful to you doesn't mean now you should then be evil and sinful to them. You may feel wronged by your evil, wicked, sinful authority. And they very well may wrong you. And I'm not discrediting that. The problem is when we're wrong and then we choose to respond back by wronging them back. The problem is when we're sinned against and so then we choose to sin back. And we justify it by, by standing up for ourselves, by, by making it even. Well, if they did this and then I, I'm going to bark back and do this. And the Bible says No. Even though you have a wicked authority, you are still to respond by obeying them. What does that look like for you? I mean, what does that look like 
in your specific life? Who are your authorities? Just think about it. Who are the authorities in your life? I mean, I guess we could all say the president or the governor. and More specifically, you could say your teachers or your parents or if you're working, your boss or whoever the authority is over you at the time, a, a, a coach, uh, a TYG staffer, uh, an older sibling. Most of you guys hate that one. They're your authority. And while likely many of these are wicked people, maybe some of them are, most of them probably aren't wicked. All of them are sinful, including your TYG staffers, including me. We're sinful, and they will, and we will sin against you. And the question is then, how will you respond when your authority is sinful? How will you respond when your authority sins against you? Will you still live in obedience? Will you still honor God in your speech and in your actions and in your attitudes? Or will you respond in sin? And will you disobey? Will you gossip? Will you be hateful? Now, Jesus is always our greatest example, right? And what we see in his life I mean, it's crazy is that even he, even Jesus lived in submission to his earthly authorities. I mean, just think about how crazy that is for a second, because ultimately Jesus is their authority. Right. When he, he was living here on earth, he still was God in the flesh. But in his humanity, he humbled himself and he submitted and lived in obedience to earthly sinful authorities. Never in which to the point that caused him to sin. But in the times in which did not require him to sin, which is probably most of the time, he lived in submission and obedience to them. And we too ought to do the same. Like Christ. Live in obedience even to our wicked authorities. Next, under the authority of the wicked, we cease to live in discernment. Live in discernment. To live wisely under the authority of the wicked, it takes great discernment. That is, knowing when something is right and when something is wrong. Knowing, is it the right time for this or, or is it the right time for that? But what I mean is that we, we cannot just live blindly and, and thoughtlessly as we live under the authority of the wicked, or, or really the authority of anyone. But it takes great discernment to know how to best respond. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. There are right times for specific actions. And we need discernment and wisdom on how to respond in the right times, in the right ways. One, we, we, we need discernment to know when it is time to leave, is an example he gives us in verse 3. He says, be not hasty to go from his presence. We need discernment to know, should I stay? 
and be a light? Or do I need to leave because this is a sinful environment in which is not wise for me to be a part of? I mean, Jesus says to be the salt and the light of the earth. So should I stay? And should I shine the light? And should, should I be salty? Should I, should I stay here and be the, the salt and the light? The Bible also says that bad company corrupts good morals. So should I leave? Is this bad company corrupting my good morals? What should I do? Should I stay? Should I go? There are times in which you will be in a situation in which you need to discern. Is it better for me to be here? Or is it better for me to leave? Secondly, we, we need discernment to know when it is time to speak up. Verse 4. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? We need discernment. Should I speak up or should I not? Now, we need to stand up for truth. Yes, the Bible says to speak the truth in love. And we should not hide that truth. We should not be ashamed of that truth. We ought to be bold to speak the truth in a dark and deceived world. Yes. But at the same time, we need discernment. The fool is the one who speaks quickly. And there are times to speak up. And there are other times in which it is better not to say anything just yet. But to wait for the right time. This takes discernment. So really, we're asking the question, how do we best live for the glory of God under a wicked and unjust authority? We need discernment. We need wisdom to know what is right at this time, in this situation. We need wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, ask God that he would grant you the wisdom that you need. Write down James 1.5. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, there you go. What's it say? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Sometimes it's easy to live life just on, on autopilot, as in just mindlessly going from one thing to the next, just responding out of instinct. Well, to live wisely and to respond wisely, especially under the authority of the wicked, we must live with discernment. And sometimes that requires us to slow down, to be prayerful, to be purposeful, to seek to understand what is right and what is honoring God in this situation, this specific situation. Are you living with discernment? Are you seeking wisdom on how to best honor God in your specific situation at this specific time? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for discernment. So we see the authority of the wicked and how we are to respond to the authority of the wicked is to live in obedience and is to live in discernment. But what about next, the prosperity of the wicked? Solomon sees the authority of the wicked, but he also sees an issue here with the prosperity of the wicked, verses 10 through 17. The first thing we see here on how we respond to the prosperity of the wicked is to know this, that judgment is delayed, but it is inevitable. Judgment is delayed, but it is inevitable. 
as in it will happen. Let me read verses 10 through 11. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Wow. Solomon looks around in life and he sees people who go in and out of the temple a lot. Hey, they're looking pretty good. But they live a wicked life outside of that. And in fact, they live a long life. Like they're rewarded for it. They receive all this praise from people for their church attendance. Wow, you are always going in and out of the temple. You must be super spiritual. All right. And And they live a long, healthy life. But they aren't actually godly. In fact, they're actually wicked people. And Solomon sees this hypocritical life. And yet they're not punished for it. In fact, they're blessed with a long and healthy life. And Solomon goes on and he also sees the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering. And it just doesn't seem right. Why are the hypocritical and the wicked people, why are they prospering while the righteous people are suffering? Is there justice? How is this right? Because it sure seems like life is working out for the wicked. They're richer. They have more things. They seem happier. They live a long life. They're not getting punished for their wickedness. Whereas the righteous are suffering. They're living a hard life. And that doesn't seem right. And Solomon's like, where is the justice in all of this? Well, Solomon tells us that judgment is inevitable. As in, it will happen. It's a matter of time. Verses 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Because he does not fear before God. There will be a time, eventually, when the wicked will be judged. And those who fear God will be rewarded. The wicked person may prosper. The wicked person may live a long life. The wicked person may get away with sin. But in the end, judgment is coming. And they cannot escape that. Their prosperous life is is like a shadow, he says in verse 13. That it it seems like a good life, but really it's just a shadow. It's not real. It has no substance. A shadow has no substance. It's not the real thing. That's what the prosperity of of the wicked is like. It seems like something, but it has no substance. Do not be deceived in thinking that the way of the wicked is the right way. Rather, it's the one who fears God that has the blessed life. 
is the one who worships God. That is truly blessed. Sometimes we do not see the judgment of the wicked right away. And that can be frustrating. And that can be confusing. But Solomon tells us that judgment is coming. It is delayed, but it is inevitable. The difficult thing about delayed judgment, it's not always the case. Sometimes the judgment's instant. The thing about delayed judgment is that it can discourage us from doing good. And it can entice us to do evil. In fact, that's what he says in verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You hear that? Do you see the wicked prospering and are discouraged to do good? Maybe you want to do what's right. Maybe you want to honor God. But anytime you do, anytime you decide to do something that is honoring to God, you end up seemingly being punished for it. And you're like, what's the deal with that? I thought I was living right for God. And this is how God repays me. And then you look at your friends or you look at others who are acting sinfully and yet they're prospering. And you're like, what's the deal with that? Maybe, for instance, you, you have a big test coming up and you study hard and you study hard for hours. You're not going to cheat. You study and you get a C. And you're like, I don't get C's. This time you did. And then your friend who is out partying all night, that's what you guys do, right? Out partying all night, Jordan, party, animal, <laughs> doesn't study because he's going to cheat anyways, and he gets an A. And you're like, wait a second, I didn't cheat. I did what was right. I get a C. This guy cheated, and he gets an A. Are you then tempted to think, what, why am I pursuing what's good? Because God's way doesn't really seem best. In fact, their way, that, that, that wicked way, it seems to be working out better. It seems to be working out real fine for them. Do you see the wicked prospering? And you're tempted then to do evil. Are you tempted then to think, maybe I should cheat on my test. Maybe I should get into an ungodly relationship. Because they seem happy. Do you compare your lives and you say, man, it looks like the sinful life is a more prosperous life. And the godly life is a less enjoyable life. I don't really want this godly life. That wicked life looks better. Maybe you are living wickedly. And it seems to be working out just fine for you. Maybe you are living in sin and you're like you know what this this is working out great things seem to be going great there doesn't seem to be any negative effects to your sinful lifestyle and so you think maybe god's word is wrong maybe i should continue to live sinfully or maybe you are living for the lord and it doesn't seem to be working out for you maybe it seems like every time you choose to live for god it makes your life harder. And so you think, maybe God's word is wrong. Maybe what he says is not what's best. This is, is a difficult predicament, maybe, that, that, that we might face. 
That as you navigate through life and, and you see the prosperity of the wicked, will you trust what you see and what you feel, like, like the stormy clouds? Will you just trust that? Or will you trust the instruments that are in front of you that you know are right? Will you trust those instruments to guide your path? See, the word of God says that judgment may not be visible now, but it is inevitable. God is a just God. And he will not allow sin or evil or wickedness to be overlooked. There's a time when God will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. Some will continue in their wickedness. And they will not bow the knee in submission to God. And they will continue to reject Christ. And there are some people in this room. And I say that with a heavy heart. It's not please my heart to say that you are living in wickedness, that you are rejecting Christ, and that judgment awaits you. You may think that you have prosperity, but in reality you have judgment and you have wrath awaiting you. This is inevitable apart from faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. And so let me say this, if this is you, if you are living in wickedness and you're rejecting Christ, if this is you, you ought to be fearful of this. You ought to be fearful. God in his grace uses his word as a warning. And so to you, I, I plead, heed this warning. God is judge. And is the one, he says here, that is the one who fears God, who submits to him, who repents of his sins, who places his faith in Jesus Christ that is forgiven of their sins and is pardoned of their wrath. And it may seem as if you are not prospering, but know and believe that you are richer and that you are blessed in Jesus Christ because your sins have been dealt with and they have been paid for by the blood of Christ. So what awaits you are the loving arms of your Savior welcoming you into his kingdom. So Christian, have faith and persevere knowing the promises that await you. Do not be scared. Do not be discouraged by, by the clouds that blur your vision. But trust the instrument that guides you through the clouds. Remember his promises. Know his word. Trust in him. And know that in Christ, you are rich, you are secure, and you have life, true life. Lastly, under the prosperity of the wicked, we see trust in God's knowledge, not man's. How are we to respond to the prosperity of the wicked? Well, first, know that judgment is delayed. The law judgment is delayed. It is inevitable. But also, trust in God's knowledge, not man's. 
all of this is, is quite mysterious to Solomon. And if we're honest, it's quite mysterious to us too. At least I think it is. The fact that God allows evil to happen in this world, unjust leaders, the wicked prospering, the righteous suffering, it's all mysterious in some ways. Sometimes we try so hard to figure everything out and come up with an explanation and a conclusion to everything. In fact, Solomon says he lost sleep over trying to figure out the mind of God. Look at that, verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. You ever lose sleep on the what ifs? You know what I mean? The what ifs in life? You're up all night thinking, what is this? What is that? What is that? You ever so caught up on, on how life could could be different? So so caught up on the mysteries of God, so caught up on the things that you don't know that you can't sleep? Do you become obsessed on questions that are not meant to be answered? Why did God let this happen? Why this? Why that? Why me? Why him? Why her? Solomon comes to the conclusion that we cannot fully understand the things of God. He says at the end of 17, however much, man, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Like even though someone might say, no, I know, I, I got to figure it out. I, I know what God, he said, no, you don't know. You cannot figure it out. Now God reveals some things to us, yes. He reveals to us what we need to know. But there are many things in which he does not reveal which means we do not need to know them. We looked at this last week briefly, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are things that remain a mystery and things that remain a secret. And it says those things belong to God. We cannot fully comprehend all the things of God. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with not knowing everything, with not understanding everything, and with not having an explanation for everything. Sometimes we put our trust in man's knowledge. And the things that we know. And we try to understand and we try to explain away the things that are happening in this life. And when things go differently than we expect. Then we question God. And we say things like, why would God allow that to happen? Why would God bless the wicked? Why would a God, why would God allow that suffering to happen to that family? I mean, they serve God so much. They're so faithful. They're so good. Why would God allow that to happen to them? And we are questioning God and his wisdom and presuming our wisdom over his. Instead, we need to trust God's knowledge, his wisdom, not man's. When things are unexplainable in our minds, such as in this context, the prosperity of the wicked, we must understand that God's wisdom is greater than ours. And at the end of the day, he does not owe us an explanation. We think God owes that to us. God, why? Why? He doesn't owe us an explanation, but we owe him our trust. Because God is completely trustworthy. 
Because God is perfect in everything. We have no reason to doubt God. We have no reason to doubt His Word. No reason to doubt His ways. But do you trust Him? Do you trust His wisdom over yours? God does not expect us to know the unknowable. And yet sometimes we put so much thought and so much effort into those things, into the things that are unknown, into the things that are meant to be unknown, that are the mysteries that are meant to be kept with God. And we try, we're so frustrated because we don't know them. We, we, we try so hard to know those things. But guess what? There are things in which God has revealed, and it's those things that God expects us to know and to obey. Do you put effort into those things? The things in which he has revealed to us. Do you seek to know the things in which he has revealed? Do you seek to, to trust those and to obey those? Or are you consumed by the things that are not meant to be revealed to us? Seek God's wisdom. Seek what he has revealed to us and trust him completely. And live in obedience to him for what he has revealed in his word. As we navigate through life in the clouds of evil, it can be confusing. It can be discouraging. But may we not follow simply what we see or what we feel. But may we trust what we know to be true. May we navigate through the clouds by following his instrument, which is his word. It is difficult at times to submit to the authority of the wicked. It is difficult at times to see the prosperity of the wicked. But nonetheless, we follow God's word and know that he is right all the time. In the greatest demonstration of evil authority, in the greatest hours in which it seemed that evil had prospered and was victorious, we see the greatest good and the greatest victory to ever occur in human history. You realize that? This, of course, is the cross of Christ. That it was evil authority that unjustly declared Jesus guilty. There is not a greater evil act from an authority than that which unjustly set Christ to the cross. He was innocent, perfect, sinless. And yet the evil authorities gave him the death penalty. In the, in the moment, it, it seemed as if evil had prospered and was victorious. It seemed as if evil had won. God is dead. But in the inevitable time, like the inevitable judgment, it was delayed. For three days it had seemed. But in the right time, God proved that his wisdom was better, that his plan was better, and that he was victorious all along. Because three days later, Christ rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death. God used through the means of the wicked authorities, through the seemingly prosperity of the wicked, this temporary prosperity. Hey, Jesus is dead. He's crucified. 
Wrong. Well, yes, but then he rose from the dead. And God used that to bring about the greatest good of all humanity, salvation for his people. If you are not a Christian, know that it is because of what Christ accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection that you can be saved. Because of what we see, the wicked authority, because when we see the seemingly prosperity of the wicked at Calvary, by his grace and through faith, you may be saved. Do you have personal faith in Jesus Christ? Your faith in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. I urge you to repent of your sins, place your faith in Christ, and receive the full forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, as you soldier through this life, as you see the evil in this world, know that Christ is already victorious. And he sealed this in his resurrection. Trust in God. Trust in his word. And live boldly for him, knowing that you share in his victory. So let your confidence not just be in what you see in the world around you. But let your confidence be in what you know is true. Based on the word of God. Based on the character of God. And based on the works of God. Trust him. Trust him. I know it can be discouraging at times when we're under the authority of the wicked or when we see the wicked prosper. But remember the truth of Scripture. Remember what you have in Christ and live boldly for Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. God, we thank you Lord, that we know you are on your throne always. Lord, I pray that we would trust you, God, in times in which things are cloudy, things are stormy, things are dark. God, I pray that we would not be discouraged or confused of what we see around us, but God, that we would trust the instrument in front of us, that God, we would trust your word and your truth. And Lord, that we would not be tempted to do evil, but that we would be bold to live for you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would convict our hearts. God, for those in here who have not placed their faith in you, have not repented of their sins, God, I pray that they would see their wicked ways. And, God, they would submit to you. Lord, only you can change their hearts. We plead with you, God, that you would. Lord, for those in here who know you, I pray that we would trust you. In times when it is difficult to trust you, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe. That we would not grow weary in this world, but Lord, we would persevere and live for your glory. Help us, God, tonight as we continue to worship you in the things that we do and say. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.